Good morning. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at One Church, and uh, I just wanted to take some time to let you know of an event that happened about a month ago, a month and a half ago. We had a team of people uh, to leave Clarksville from our church and from another church, uh, First Baptist Church of Clarksville, to do a missions trip in Lynch, Kentucky. And uh, in fact, if you went on that Lynch mission trip, would you stand up? All right, fantastic. Wonderful. Let, let me kind of tell you the story about uh, kind of what happened and the reason why they went. Go back, if you would, that first slide. Um, uh, Edie Tunstall, uh, uh, she uh, had a, a, a huge loss in her life uh, about a year ago. Uh, in August, her 12-year-old daughter drowned. And uh, her name was Victoria, uh, and she always said it's Victoria with a Y, not an I. And it was spelled victory and then an A afterwards. And uh, at her funeral, because she always loved Crocs, uh, everybody just came and brought just literally hundreds and hundreds of Crocs uh, to give away to needy children. Uh, so uh, in, uh, they decided to go to Lynch, Kentucky, because there's a lot of needy children in Lynch. Um, there's a, it's a, it was a coal mining town. Have you all ever seen a coal miner's daughter, Loretta Lynn? Uh, the Loretta Lynn, uh, there's a, a museum there, and it's just a, it, it really is a town that has a lot of great people in it, but just economically... It's very depressed. And uh, what they did is they decided to take all of those crocs that was accumulated uh, at Victoria's funeral and to give those away to needy children. And uh, so they decided to go to Lynch. They had a Mommy and Me tea uh, at an at event there that they invited all the moms and all the daughters and uh, some uh, guys, I guess, that wanted to drink tea too. Um, and they all showed up for that, and uh, they went to different schools and gave away Crocs. In fact, they gave all of the Crocs away, but there was still a huge need. And uh, as you leave the service this morning, we have a table, a missions table set up uh, that you can donate uh, uh, Crocs uh, to and uh, that you can give money for that if you'd like. And uh, Cordy and some all the other, other uh, Lynch mission trip people will be out there. But I just wanted to just uh, give a huge round of thanks to them for doing that, uh, to be able to go to a place that, um, that has a need and how we all are called to be missionaries in the sphere of influence that we are at. So uh, uh, let's just give another round of applause for what Jesus has done through them. Thank you so much, guys, and ladies. So, And then I'm going to introduce my good friend uh, and partner in crime, Danny Boyer. Uh, Danny Boyer and I taught Sunday school about 20 years ago. And, um, and uh, we've had a great time, and he's going to be uh, giving you the word of this morning from Ecclesiastes. So, y'all give Danny a hand. He hates applause. More. That's right. I'm going to share a secret with you this morning. Secret about myself that, that you may not know. Matter of fact, you probably don't know. There's maybe one person in this room that knows the secret, and that's my wife, because I shared it with her earlier this week. I hold a world record. Are you impressed? I hold a world record. In 1976, I was one of 4,000-plus cadets at the United States Air Force Academy that formed the world's longest-sitting human chain. Are you impressed? Oh, I hold a world record. You need to be impressed, right? That's something to say about yourself. Maybe. We tried to look it up. Sharon tried to look it up. Google it. You know what? It's not there. 
That was before the Internet, you know, before Al Gore was here. So it's not there. But in 1976, we at the Air Force, we set a world record. Now, that kind of introduces the theme for this morning, meaningless, right? Is that kind of a meaningless world record? It was. It was truly meaningless. And you look on the uh, photograph here, the picture that's on the screen, what do you see on there? Dollar signs stand for money, right? What else? A car, a Mercedes-Benz, not just a car, a Mercedes-Benz, and a, and a really fancy-looking house, right? Are those things that you want? No, and most of us kind of want those things. Somebody had to explain to me what bling meant, because uh, I didn't know. Robert said this morning there, you could preach about the bling, and I thought, what in the world are you talking about? What is the bling? What is the bling, right? It's all the jewelry, all the fancy gold flashing stuff, if Robert's right, right? That we, the possessions that we grab a hold of in life. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning, really, is what are you doing with your life? And the first question that I want to ask each of you to think about is, what are you living for every day? Day in and day out. I'm sorry, do I need to announce that the children need to go on? Come on down. There we go. Uh, I thought I saw movement in the auditorium. While they're coming down, think about the question again. What do you live for every day? Every day, day in and day out. Let me ask another question. What's your passion in life? What do you really have a passion for? What do you wake up thinking about at night or in the middle of the night? You get up in the morning thinking about I used to be a soccer coach. Some of you who, who knew me at that time know I was consumed by soccer. I played soccer when I was in high school and college, and I was consumed by it as a coach. thought about it all the time. It was my passion in what I did. Uh, what do you love to do more than anything else? Answer these questions in your mind just as we go through this. I want you to think about it. What are you living for? Is it a new car? Is it a big house? Maybe a successful career? You want to be the best at whatever it is that you're doing? Do you want to leave a legacy? All of our presidents, as they get near the end of their terms, or their second term, if they get one, they always talk about, I want to leave a legacy. Is that what you're living for, to leave a legacy of some kind? Or maybe you just are living for a pat on the back. You want someone to come up and give you a little bit of respect and thanks for what it is that you're doing. You want a little bit of recognition. Some people live for the next high that they can get. Some people live for the next drug high. Some people live for the next spiritual high that they can get. The question that I want us to think about this morning is, what are you living for? Let's look at it from a different angle. What makes you angry? What gets your blood boiling? Are you getting angry? Just thinking about it, right? Even as you just think about it. Maybe a different angle. Does life seem pointless to you? Do you ever feel like you're just a rat in a maze running round and round and round with no point in what you're doing in your life? Uh, do you ever feel like nothing really matters? Is the meaning of life enjoying the good things of life? It is in the pleasure that we can have in life. Is it in great wealth? Or is it in work? 
or accomplishments, wisdom, or family? What is the meaning of life? That's the question that we're going to look at this morning. It's the question that Solomon asked in the book of Ecclesiastes, and that's where we're uh, going this morning. We're going to look through the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon asked these questions, and he set out some answers to them. He said that he was determined to find wisdom and to understand the reason for things. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of want to know why I'm here and what God's purpose is in my life or what my purpose is in life. And so that's really what we're going to look at this morning. Let's look briefly at some uh, verses that tell us what Solomon... Um, Briefly, they're going to tell us what Solomon found as he set out to find out the meaning of life. First, it's in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. It says, I said to myself, Look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. Now, he wasn't bragging. That's, the Bible says that that's true of Solomon. He was the wisest man that lived. God gave him great wisdom, wisdom far greater than anyone else. So, and he says, so I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. Then on down to chapter 2, he says, I said to myself, come, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself, by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks. I built reservoirs. I bought slaves. I owned large herds and flocks more than any of the other kings. I collected great sums of silver and gold. I hired wonderful singers and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Can any of us say that? Solomon said it, and it was true from one perspective. He says, I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. Then Solomon says, so I decided to compare, and we're going to, this is another part of what he set out to do. I decided to compare wisdom and foolishness and madness, for who can do this better than I, the king? Solomon set out to find out the meaning of life, to find out what matters what brings purpose. He tried all of these things that we look at, all of these things that we see on here, right? He acquired all of those, more than any of us could ever hope to acquire. He had it all. He did it all. And we're going to see what he discovered. This is in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. It says, Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. The water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. As you think about what he just said, I want you to think about one other fact. 
Solomon lived and wrote this about 3,000 years ago. There's a lot of history that's passed uh, under the bridge since he wrote this. Those words are still true today. They're as true today as they were when he wrote them 3,000 years ago. Let's look at what else he found. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Solomon says, I found this, looking for the good things, speaking about the good things in life, uh, I found this was too was meaningless. The good things in life were meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? Uh, down to verse 11. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I want you to get that uh, word picture that Solomon uses. He says it was meaningless, and then he describes what he means by that. It was like chasing the wind. You ever done that? You ever thought about doing that? It's like trying to grab hold of the wind, run after it. Can you catch the wind? Can you? Can you get it in your hands? Track it down? And so when he's talking about what is meaningless, he's talking all of this that he's talking about, all that he's did, all of it was like chasing the wind. Let's go down to he talks. He sought wisdom, so we're going to see what he said about wisdom in, in chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is all so meaningless. Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 8, it continues, None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. What's Solomon saying? We're all going to die. He's looking at the, the meaning of life in the context of that ultimate truth. History repeats itself. It goes on and on. We're all going to die. Let's look, at, let's look at what his conclusions were to his whole study. In uh, chapter 1, verse 14, he kind of starts off with his conclusion. He says, I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. Chapter 1, verse 2, the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. Everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. I don't know about you, I kind of feel like jumping up and down and celebrating. I'm being sarcastic, obviously, right? I mean... Now, that's pretty, this is the wisest man in the world looking at the world, and his conclusion is everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. What do we do with that? If you think about it, it's, it's very true. When you look at life from the perspective of what we do here during our short lives here on earth, Solomon built building after building after building, home after home. He built the temple. He acquired all these things. And what does he say? When I die, someone else gets it. He even goes on to say in the book of Ecclesiastes, when I die, it's going to be given to a fool. And it'll be wasted away and it'll be gone. And that's exactly what happened in his life. The kingdom was divided immediately after he died. And his son, very foolishly, wasted away what Solomon had acquired and built. He accomplished more than any man before his time had ever accomplished. And in one lifetime, that's it. It's gone. 
Think about a thousand years from now. Will anybody remember anything that we did? 500 years from now. Maybe 10 years from the day we die. Will anybody remember anything that we did? From that perspective, Solomon's conclusion makes sense. It's all meaningless. That's just hard. I have a hard time with that. It is hard. So far what we've looked at really are Solomon's observations and his conclusions about the meaning and purpose of life from a human perspective, from human wisdom. And that's what he's doing is he's using, looking at the, human, the life that we live here on earth and using human wisdom uh, to make these observations and bring the, the um, conclusions, the conclusion that it's all meaningless. What he says is, if there's no God, if we are just the result of time and chance, evolution, that's what evolution if we're just the result of time and chance of evolution, if our lives here on earth are all that there is, if we don't live past our life here on earth, then this life has no meaning. And all that we do is like chasing the wind. It's futile and it's meaningless. Fortunately, Solomon did not stop there. In Ecclesiastes, he also went on to consider the fact of God. He thought about the fact that we are God's creation and that we're not the result of chance. He considered what God might be doing. That's what we want to do right now is just go on and look at what Solomon considered when he thought about what God might be doing here on earth. Remember, from our perspective, if you just look at life as the 70-plus years that we live here on earth, what's the conclusion? What's the conclusion? It's meaningless. Just, do you agree with that conclusion? I hear one no. One very weak no. I think, truthfully, if we think about it, we have to agree with that conclusion. It just It's like a river running on by, and it's gone. It has no purpose and meaning apart from God, apart from what God is doing. So that's what we want to look at here, and let's see... Uh, some more of Solomon's investigation. In chapter 3, verse 11, Solomon says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. The three basic truths in that verse that we just really need to grab a hold of. The first is that God has made everything beautiful for its own time. God is the creator He has a time and purpose for everything. The second is that God has planted eternity in the human heart. God put a sense of eternity, a longing, a yearning for eternity, for eternity with Him into each and every human heart. Third, God, uh, people cannot see the whole scope of the work that God is doing from beginning to end. As we look at this, you, you, you need to kind of remember, too, that when Solomon wrote this, he did not have all of the scriptures, the Bible, as we have it today. He only had the uh, first five books of the Bible, which are considered the law, and probably some of the writings of Samuel and uh, of his father, King David. He did not have all the prophets, and he clearly did not have the New Testament, so he did not have all of the scripture. But what he says is, from my human point of view and what I see, I can't see and understand all that God is doing. I submit to you, even though we have the whole of Scripture, God has told us what He's doing, 
in the world today, we still don't see all of it. We don't see it all from beginning to end because God is so much bigger and greater than we are. Let me ask this question. Why has God planted eternity, the sense of eternity, in every human heart? Think about that for a second. The reason that he has done that is so we'll all know that there's more to this life than what we do here during our physical life here on earth. There's more to life than the physical life here on earth. God has put eternity in every human heart so that we will seek him. Let's look at another verse where he continues with his investigation. In verse 14 of chapter 3 says, And I know that whatever God does is final. The ESV translated is that it endures forever. Nothing can be added or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. Now, there are two points that we really need to grasp uh, from this verse. Uh, the first is the contrast between what we do, our work under the sun. What was the result of our work under the sun? Vain, empty, meaningless, futile. Right? It goes right away. Contrast that to God's work. God's work is final in the sense that it endures and it lasts forever. Now, the second point there is uh, that God has a purpose in his work, and his purpose is to bring us to fear him. He's put eternity in our hearts so we would seek him, so that we would know that there's more than this life. And now he has a purpose in his work, and that is that we would fear him. That doesn't sit very well with most of us. I don't quite understand that. We think about why would God want us to fear him. He wants us to fear him so that we will acknowledge that God is who he says he is. The creator of the universe. Your creator. He wants us to fear him because fear leads us to acknowledge that God will do what he says he will do. Proverbs 16.6 says, Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. So God wants us to fear him because it fear uh, leads us to avoid evil. And we avoid evil because he, uh, we know that judgment is coming and that God will condemn the wicked. Fear leads us to seek God's mercy. God has shown us that we're all guilty before him. If we know that he exists and we know that there's more than this life and we know that we're guilty before him, and fear leads us to seek his mercy. Proverbs 14:27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Uh, Proverbs 19:23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Why does God want us to fear him? fear of him brings us to him seeking his mercy let's go on chapter uh, 3 verse 15 Solomon goes on to say that which is already has been that which is to be already has been God seeks what has been driven away and in this verse again there are two points that we really need to understand the first is really difficult to, to kind of grasp there he says 
That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. What's happening in the present and what will happen in the future have already happened. Now, Solomon's not talking about time travel and the back to the future kind of sense like we might think about, you know, if you think about that movie. That's not what he's talking about in this verse. Um, we see that what he's referring to, if you look at the whole context of this passage, what he's referring to is sin. He's looking back to the past, to the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned. That which uh, is already has been. Well, what is today for sinners? It already has been. It began when Adam and Eve sinned. And uh, that which is to be already has been. What will men be in the future? Sinners. Right? Already has been. What Solomon is saying is, that's the condition of the world. That's the condition that the world is in, and God knew it. God lives outside of time. He sees outside of time, and God knew it. The second thing that he says is that God is seeking what has been driven away. And you might just... Uh, driven away is also translated uh, as pursued. And that really is the... Uh, to me, gives a better understanding of what he means. God is seeking what is... Uh, pursued. What is that? What is it that God is seeking? Well, what was driven away in the garden? When Adam and Eve fell, what was their response? They lost fellowship with God. Their relationship with God was broken. You remember what Adam did, what Adam and Eve did when God came walking in the garden? They hid from him. God was seeking Adam and Eve what was pursued. And he still is seeking today what was driven away. Who is what was driven away? Who was driven away? Us. That's right. Why? Because we've sinned. Because God is righteous. We couldn't stand to go into his presence. Let's go on to the next verse. Chapter 3, verse 18 says, I also thought about the human condition, how God proves to people that they are animals. That's a tough verse, you know. And actually, the Scripture says we're not like the animals. We're different in some ways. We're different because we were created in God's image. God made us just a little lower than the angels, so we're not like the animals. But in what sense are we like the animals? The same sense that Solomon said that, that brought him to say life is all meaningless. What do animals do that we do? They die. You live and you die, right? You're here for a little bitty short time, a brief time, and then you die. Let's go on to uh, chapter 7. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. This is part of what Solomon discovered. Um, verse 29, he says, God created people to be virtuous, but they have each turned to follow their own downward path. And I want to jump on down to, to um, a couple more verses that just kind of summarize what Solomon found uh, through his investigation. Chapter 3, verse 17, he says, in due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. And then in chapter 12, verse 14, in the conclusion to the book, he says, God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret, whether good or bad. We finished the first section. Life is meaningless. We started looking at what God, uh, what he is doing, and it kind of ends with this thought that God will judge 
each and every man of what we've done here on earth. Again, are you ready to just jump up with joy and run around? It's kind of depressing, isn't it? It is when you look at it. Now, let's just summarize what we know about God's work, what God is doing. First, we know that God is the creator and that he has a time and a purpose for everything. We know that God is at work in our lives and that what he does will last forever. We also know that God has put the certainty of eternity into everyone's heart so that we will know that there's more to this life and what happens right here on earth so that we will see Him. God proves to us that our lives are like a vapor, that we will die and face judgment. God has shown us that we've all sinned, we've all turned away from Him, and God is working to bring us to fear Him. God is seeking us. We are pursued by God. Which brings us to the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes. Over in chapter 12, Solomon kind of gives, wraps up and gives us his conclusion. He says, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your Creator. Honor Him in your youth before you grow old. Remember Him before, and then he says, I believe it's six times, Remember Him before, remember Him before, remember Him before. Remember him before your creator. Uh, yes, remember your creator now while you are young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Each one of those remember him before. When he says before, he he gives some reference to old age, to the creeping of old age, the aches and the pains, and all the things that happen in old age. As you start to get older, you start to think about those things. And Solomon says. As you really start to get older, near the end of your life, you think about him all the time. Solomon is saying, remember him before. Now, when you're young, who's old? That's right. And when you're old, who's young? Anybody younger than you. Now, I would submit to you, I, I remember Sharon's mom used to, uh, sometimes I would uh, say to her that I thought, I would accidentally say, I think you're old. It's something about her being old. And she'd look at me, and she was in her 60s, mid-60s, late 60s. She'd say, I'm not old. Don't you say I'm old. Those people are old. And she'd think about someone that was 85 or 90. You know, and you get that. My dad, who is uh, 76, is just starting to act, just to admit, oh, I might be old. He don't want to. And he still talks about the old people at the old folks' home, uh, where he go, or the senior citizen place where he goes to work out. But he doesn't consider himself old at this time. I say all that because the point is, Solomon is saying, remember in your youth. So what is our youth? What is the youth that he's talking about? He's not talking about teenagers necessarily. What's he talking about? The idea is remember while you're alive, while you're still here on this earth. Remember in your youth. Remember what? Remember your creator. Solomon says, uh, and chapter 12, verse 13 is his, his summary of all that he's found. This is the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. This is man's all. Don't forget your creator. Honor your creator now while you're alive. Remember your creator before you die. Let me ask you another question. Can we really forget God? Can we really forget our creator? 
Well, the answer is that we do it all the time. We do it when we live this life as if this life is all there is. We do it when we live for the things of this world, for the bling. Uh, I want to use that term. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we do it when we live for the best things that this world has to offer. So now let me go back to the question that I, we started with this morning. What are you living for day in and day out? Have you forgotten your Creator? Slaps me right across the face. When we remember our Creator, or excuse me, when must we remember our Creator? When? All the time. Let's use a better word. When must we remember our Creator? Now. When is now? Wherever you are, right? Whenever you're there, right? All the time, we must remember our Creator. And how do we remember and honor our Creator? Verse uh, 12, verse 13 says, Fear God and obey His commands. How do we remember and honor our Creator? We honor Him by fearing Him, by keeping His commands. We remember and honor God by keeping His commands. Now, what's the sum of the commandments? Anybody remember? What's, what did Jesus say? was the sum of the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. And love your neighbor. Now, fear God, love God. They are right there next to each other. Love your neighbor. If we do that, we see that what we do here on life is not meaningless. Jesus said that in as much as you just give a cup of water, excuse me, we spend our life chasing after all kinds of things and doing it, but the smallest act of kindness will be remembered forever in all eternity. The smallest act of charity in the name of Christ will never be forgotten. It might be in this world, but it won't be by our Creator. That's a pretty great promise. That's the truth of Scripture. Jesus spoke to us when He talked about if we love, love God and love one another. Let's just sum it up. God is at work seeking the lost, bringing us to Him. He wants us to fear Him, to remember Him, and to honor Him. The meaning of life is not in our pleasure, it's not in our work, and it's not in our accomplishments, but it's in our relationship to the Creator God who is seeking us, every one of us. Through Jesus, God has reconciled us to Himself. He made peace between us. Jesus made peace between us and God possible. And God is seeking what has been driven away. Hey, hey, you. That is the meaning of life. I pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you are pursuing us. You are seeking us. 
Father, I pray that we would respond in the manner that you have called us to respond, that we would remember you, that we would honor you, and, Father, that we would fear you, seeking your mercy through Jesus Christ.